Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 10th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We're going to start uh, the week this week uh, by speaking with the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, who's on the line. Good morning, Minister. Thank you indeed uh, morning, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Northern Ireland uh, Protocol and indeed uh, the British-Irish Intergovernmental Conference you uh, attended uh, on Friday and how it said there's uh, a thawing. Uh, in the relations uh, between uh, the British government and the Irish government, indeed, uh, all of uh, the European uh, countries uh, for that matter. But uh, we're starting a a week like no other, um, a a day certainly like no other in Donegal. And a a nation mourns uh, the 10 people who have lost their lives, prays for the injured, uh, and indeed, all of the people of uh, Chrysler are in our minds uh, this morning. Uh, I'm sure uh, you'd like to pass your condolences on to people in Donegal this morning. Absolutely, Michael. I mean, what happened and, you know, it's utterly devastating, really. I think that's the only word that you can use for for the families who are impacted and, and whose lives are just going to be utterly transformed forever. But I think the entire community, and as you said, so many people came together. I mean, I, I cannot commend enough the, the different services, everybody from the Gardaí, the fire services, the ambulance services, all of the hospitals, the local GPs, even, you know, we, we heard of a local coffee shop that just stayed open 24-7 to be able to support everyone in, in doing what they're doing. But I think as with anything, as we start to see the pictures of those who died, we start to hear about their lives, you know, it, it becomes all that more real mm. and, and more difficult for people and, and we've all probably thought of our own local shops and you know imagining if this this were to happen to us so it's just it's very difficult and, and they're going to need a lot of support I think for for a long time so I think we all have to be there mm. in whatever way that we can to be able to support people and you know we, we heard obviously one of the victims was married to a man from Laos you know 
there, there's connections everywhere and there's always a connection on the island of Ireland if you if you dig not too far to be honest so we, we obviously know that people are going to need support and help but yeah. we need to be able to, to give it to them. Yeah, and that deed will continue for some time. Uh, the scale of uh, the tragedy really has reverberated uh, around the world uh, with a, a message of sympathy coming from Pope Francis uh, and in some ways that puts it into context uh, but it's actually impossible to put into context. Uh, I, I don't think anybody really can find the words uh, to uh, explain uh, the level of tragedy. No, and I think it's it's just because of how random and, and how much of uh, something that wasn't expected, you know, people just going about their business, going into their local shop, going to work, and for something like this to happen, I don't think it's anything that anybody could have comprehended, and that's often what makes it more difficult to understand when something like this happens with no warning or no... Uh, no reason um, it, it can be all the more challenging but I suppose that's that's why people will need mm. the support and the help over the coming days just to come to terms with this and mm. to make sure that there are people around them and, and that those families are supported in the best way possible but mm. also the services and, and those who were on the scene and you know that's a very difficult situation for them many of those would know the people that they were trying to reach and trying to help so um, you know, we need mm. to make sure that that support continues for our frontline workers as well. But as you say, it, it, mm. you know, mm. it, it's very hard to say yeah. much more because it's it's just a devastating uh, event yeah. for so many people and the whole community. And as you said, the whole country, I think, is mourning with them. It's going to be an exceptionally hard week. Uh, I'm sure uh, it'll be an exceptionally hard time ahead uh, in terms of months and possibly years uh, for many of uh, the people involved. But this week... Uh, uh, it'll be a time for grieving and mourning, the first of uh, the funerals uh, to take place tomorrow. Uh, and there's 10 funerals uh, that will have to be held in a community that is already heartbroken. Uh, but obviously people are going to want to answer, want answers, um, want to know what did happen or how did this happen. Uh, are uh, you uh, communicating uh, with uh, the Gardaí about this as the Minister for Justice? Uh, ha- have you had uh, any indication as to where that investigation is going? I'm reading that explosive experts have been brought in from overseas. Well, look, yes, I, I have been obviously in contact with the Gardaí locally, but, but obviously the Commissioner as well. And um, because it's ongoing, I, I really don't want it to maybe get into what it may or may not or where it came from but I mean the the initial reports and anything that has happened since Friday would indicate that this was just an accident Um, unfortunately that this was an accident that happened within the grounds of you know what was a busy complex from a shop to apartments to hairdressers post office Um, but obviously you know there will have to be thorough examinations and there will have to be an overall investigation and that's happening and that will be underway but I wouldn't like to say anything more just while that is obviously happening but it really is all pointing to just uh, such a tragic accident. Okay, Uh, let's uh, talk about uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, There is some chink of light at this stage. You met on Friday with Chris Heaton-Harris, the Northern Ireland Secretary, and indeed with Steve Baker, together with Simon Coveney, the Minister for Foreign Affairs. There seemed to be some reason for getting back together into talks and maybe finding a solution to what has been such a stalemate for so long. Yes, and maybe if I could just explain to people, I suppose, why we were meeting or why this particular structure 
meets um, because you have a lot of different structures that came through the Good Friday Agreement. But this one in particular, the British-Irish Intergovernmental Conference, was, a, I suppose it was set up to make sure that if the institutions weren't meeting or the executive wasn't up and running in the north, that there was still some form of formal communication and official engagement between uh, the Northern Ireland Secretary of State and the uh, Irish government. So um, it's chaired by the Minister for Foreign Affairs. But given the importance of ensuring continued security on our island, that's why I was there in my capacity as Minister for Justice. Um, While security was obviously an element of our discussion, the key focus was on the Northern Ireland Assembly, um, but also how we can get through this current impasse, as you've said, in relation to the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, So we had quite a number of items on the agenda that general cooperation and how we can make sure with the new UK government led by Liz Truss as Prime Minister that our relationships that really have evolved and and been very positive over the years that they continue but that we can work with all parties in the North to try and get the executive up and running. People may or may not be aware once the election is held in Northern Ireland there is a set period of time by which if the executive is not put in place then the Secretary of State has to call an election. So uh, the new Secretary of State, Chris Heaton-Harris, is obliged by the 28th of this month to call an election if the executive is not up and running. So obviously, you know, every effort has been made to, to not allow that happen. And I don't think there's any party in the North, in the Irish government or even in the UK and across Europe that wants to see another election. Um, so there was discussion as to how we could um, work with each other, how we can support those discussions that are happening at a European and a UK level uh, and how we could potentially find solutions to to prevent an election from happening and to get, most importantly, the executive up and running. Mm. People in the North want to see the executive up and running. We're celebrating 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement next April. It has been such a huge success. Um, You know, nobody wants us to be in a situation come April next year where we don't have an executive up and running. Okay, well, you've been warned by the DUP that next April uh, could be the funeral of uh, the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, Stormont will be back up and running if you can convince the DUP to take their seats. Uh, Do you think that that will happen before the 28th of October? Uh, If it doesn't happen and an election is called, do you think that it will happen after the election? Well, look, I think the focus here really is how we can make sure that all sides um, are happy with how the protocol are being implemented. And yes, the DUP, I think, have been very clear that that is the challenge that they face. And I think, you know, we, we spent three years negotiating the Northern Ireland protocol. Obviously, when you go to implement anything, there may be tweaks and changes and there may be adjustments that can be made. So that really is the focus at the moment. Seskovic, who is leading the discussions at a European level, very much engaged with the UK government, is looking at and and has been working towards how we can make sure the Northern Ireland Protocol is implemented in a way that that all people in Northern Ireland and all parties can support. So I I don't think we can be at a stage come the 28th of October where absolutely everything is agreed on and signed off on and decided. I don't think anybody thinks that. But I think if we can make progress in this area, if we can reach some agreement that we're heading in the right direction, then I think we're more likely to see things move before the 28th. Nobody likes to work to a deadline, unfortunately, but we do have a deadline Mm. here. And I, you know, from from any conversations that have been had, I don't think anybody wants, in fact, I know nobody wants another election um, because it only prolongs 
what we're trying to achieve now. But okay. I do think it's possible. I do think discussions need to continue, obviously, intensely this week and next week. And I know that's the plan. Um, but it's all about communication. So people talked about the thawing of relations, maybe mm. in a different approach by the UK and others. If we don't have people sitting down, talking, building relationships, you don't get anywhere. And the only way that the Good Friday Agreement was reached in the first instance was by people sitting down around the table, building relations, building trust uh, and having those conversations. And that's really how you will get this done. All right. That might come as a a surprise, Minister, to anybody who attended uh, the DUP conference over the weekend. Uh, Maybe we can uh, listen to the DUP leader, part of uh, his leader's speech, Uh, over the weekend and hear what Geoffrey Donaldson had to say about this. The strong mandate that we received in the election has caused others to recognise the validity of our position and to act. As such, we welcomed and supported the introduction of the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill at Westminster. If fully enacted, this legislation has the potential to provide the solution that will free Northern Ireland from the grip of the Protocol and restore our rights as British citizens to trade freely with the rest of our own nation under Article 6 of the Acts of Union. We also meet at a time when the UK government has recommenced talks with the EU on the protocol. As a party, we welcome those talks and we wish those involved well. The issue of which route is travelled, whether the talks with the EU are successful or whether the protocol bill at Westminster becomes law, is not actually the dominant question. Either the Prime Minister delivers the provisions of the call bill by legislation or by negotiation and ensures that our place in the United Kingdom is or there will be no basis to re-enter Stormont. Pretty clear, Minister. Well, look, I think what's clear there is Jeffrey Donaldson, on behalf of the DUP, wants to ensure that his party's views and that his party's concerns around implementing the protocol are heard. And that's certainly something that we have taken on board, that the UK government have taken on board, that the EU have taken on board. If we are to implement this, we need I to make Jeffrey sure Jeffrey Donaldson would be amazed to hear you say that, Minister. Uh, with respect, I think Jeffrey Donaldson would be very surprised to hear you say that. He'd probably be amazed to hear you say that because I think what he was saying was that either the protocol is scrapped or they won't take their seats. Well, I mean, the bill that you're discussing and, and or the, the bill that Jeffrey Donaldson referenced mm. there is a bill that would be introduced unilaterally, so on their own, without mm. any support. And that goes to a second it's reading in the House of Lords them. next week, and he's saying it's either that route or the other route, which uh, the protocol is scrapped by way of agreement uh, with the British government and the European Union. Well, again, the conversations, I can only relay the conversations that we've had, but if we can make progress, I think, on making sure that the concerns that they've raised... Mm that they can be addressed in a sufficient way. I'm not saying that everything would be addressed by the end of the month, but if they can be addressed, then certainly progress can be made. And some of the concerns they've raised, a lot of which is around sharing of data, it's around checks, and I believe that there is work that can be done to move even further from where we where we currently stand in that regard. That the DUP it's, will uh, accept leaving the European Union in a way that is different to the rest of the United Kingdom? Well, look, I, I can't speak on behalf of the DUP. All I can say is that we have been working towards, and, and again, this isn't a negotiation between Ireland or the Irish government mm. and the DUP or the, the UK government even. This is a discussion happening at a European and a UK level. And obviously, Prime Minister, the Secretary of State, and as you mentioned earlier, the junior minister, Steve Barker, 
who is engaging in a significant way with the DUP, the most important thing is that as these discussions continue, that that engagement is there with the DUP, with all parties in the north, and that any decision that is taken as to how the Northern Ireland Protocol is implemented, that it takes on board their concerns as well as everybody else's interests here. That That is what we need to achieve here. I mean, a bill that moves on its own, that doesn't have the support of the EU or the Irish government, is a bill that breaches international law. And mm. I think everybody is very clear on that. And we made that point very clearly on Friday, Minister Coveney and myself, when meeting the Secretary of State and the Junior Minister, what the objective here is to try and make sure that the DUPs, but all interests in Northern Ireland, are heard, are listened to, and that however it's implemented, that those concerns are taken on board. And just very finally, Minister, do you agree that uh, position, which results in the DUP not taking up seats in Stormont, uh, means uh, the collapse of power sharing and the death of the Good Friday Agreement? Well, I, I... No, I don't think that, but I think it would be hugely regrettable if come the 28th we don't have an agreement, we don't have any indication that we're moving towards power sharing. I think people have worked too hard over the past 25 years for that to happen, particularly as we approach 25 years next April. So, you know, things can be said, but I think it's about everybody getting around the table and trying to find a solution here. And I I do believe that the DUP and all parties want to find a solution here. So there's obviously intensive discussions that need to happen over the next few weeks. But I think an outcome is achievable, but I think we need to just work together on it. Okay, Minister, we leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining Thanks. us uh, this morning. As always, that's uh, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee of Fine Gael TD for Mid-East. Michael Michael Reed Reed on LMFM. Now, there's been some surprise uh, with uh, the American uh, president issuing a blanket pardon for Americans who were federally convicted of possessing small amounts of marijuana in America. uh, As you've been hearing, marijuana is considered to to be a Schedule 1 controlled substance uh, on the same lines as heroin or LSD. Uh, Joe Biden in uh, direct uh, his health secretary to uh, pardon people who have been convicted also asked him to oversee a review and says it makes no sense too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana it's time that we right these wrongs Gino Kenny people before Profit TD for Dublin Midwest joins us now and a very good morning to you Gino and thank you indeed uh, for your time as always were you surprised at the American president's move uh, not really. I mean, um, in the election presidency kind of election a number of years ago, Joe Biden said that, you know, one of his policies was to look at the area of decriminalization. So obviously it came kind of out of the blue in some ways. So it's very, very welcome that, uh, you know, that the American the Biden administration is looking um, at policy change in relation to uh, the federal um, declassification of cannabis. Because at the moment, I think there's about 15 states in the United States that have cannabis where it's legal, and then the states that it's illegal. Mm. So, but federal, federally, it's illegal. So, in this situation, it would only affect a number of about 7,000 people that have been basically prosecuted and have criminal offences in recent times in relation to uh, small possession, simple possession of cannabis. So it's, it's, it's very welcome that, you know, uh, there's a policy change in relation to this. And 
I think what most people will be observing is that, you know, federally, that United States decriminalised cannabis, okay. which would then be a game changer, in my view, um, in the United States, and hopefully that the inter- international trend follows that, Michael. And, mm. uh, you know, we have a situation where people are just not criminalised for simple possession. This is what this is what they're about, possession. Mm. Uh, small amounts of cannabis being kind of having a criminal record. Some cases haven't gone to jail for that. So it's very welcome. And hopefully this continues on the road of regulation. I would support the issue of regulation rather than prohibition. Prohibition doesn't work. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we're going that we're going that road. It takes a considerable amount of time, but uh, I think it's on the right road. Right. Well, decriminalisation would mean that uh, you're not uh, convicted uh, for yeah. possession, as you say. But once uh, you get to that position, you'd have to ask yourself, well, why don't we legalise it? This is big yeah. business. Yeah. There's big money. I think they're saying it's worth $33 billion in America. Yeah, it's a colossal amount of money. And in Colorado alone, which has the same kind of population as Ireland, they generated billions, uh, no, hundreds of millions um, of tax revenue. So instead of leaving to the black market, I mean, the state has kind of intervened. Uh, they regulate it and tax it. Uh, to me, that's the best way of actually um, dealing with this issue. Um, and it's worth a lot of money. Um, you know, people will use cannabis whether it's legal or not. So... You know, in this in this situation, uh, some states in the United States, which are more advanced than others, uh, for example, California, I think, legalized cannabis since 25 years ago. So they have a, a regulated system where it generates money. It doesn't mean that the black market is completely kind of eradicated. So, so the, the black market will always try to, you know, intervene in a regulated system. But largely, largely, the black market has receded. Um, and I think that's, I'd like to see that in this country in the next couple of weeks, Michael, give you a bit of an exclusive that people are proper will be bringing forward a bill in relation to uh, decriminalisation of cannabis for personal use. Okay. Uh, and uh, the thinking on it uh, may be influenced by what's happening I- in America uh, because uh, there really has been a significant change. As you say, it's uh, available in a, a lot of states legally for whatever purpose you want. Yeah. 68% of Americans, according to a, a Gallup poll, favour legalising the drug, not just decriminalising it. Uh, it's available yeah. in 37 states, apparently, as uh, medical cannabis for medicinal reasons and 19 states uh, for recreational use. They say that's uh, uh, over 40% of the American population who can access cannabis legally. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's a good thing. And you, can, you, you have to give this context uh, because obviously this is where the war on drugs was coined based in the 1960s. And most anti-drug laws are based around deep racial uh, prejudice against minority communities. And even Biden has said that, you know, people of colour have disproportionately been affected by, you know, criminalising people for using cannabis. So, you know, you have to give the, the context is that does making something illegal make it safer? I would say it makes it, it, makes it unsafe. Uh, it kind of opens a market for the black market um, and kind of leads people into all sorts of kind of criminality and giving them criminal charges and so forth. So a system of regulation, a system of, um, mm. you know, a better system that people are not criminalised with cannabis, because it doesn't make sense. Like, even if, if you're ardent, uh, you know, somebody that's anti-drugs, criminalising people for using any drug, you know, doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. So we need a different system. 
and that system is decriminalisation. It doesn't go far enough, mm. to, you know, in some ways, but you need regulation as well. And once you have that system, it's a better system. OK, well, overall. if it's worth big money and could result in big money for the exchequer, uh, well, then the drug gangs are going to have to find uh, a way of making money uh, in uh, some other uh, form. Uh, is it possible that instead of the drug gangs selling cannabis, uh, that uh, that would turn to heroin and some of these harder drugs? Well, they already do, Michael. I mean, obviously, the heroin, uh, cocaine is very kind of prevalent. If you, you know, in certain parts of Ireland, um, so criminal gangs will supply and demand. Uh, and largely, the cannabis market in Ireland is controlled by the black market, largely. So once you have that, once I mean, if you have a regulated system, uh, you know, evidence shows that largely uh, the black market. The, the demand of cannabis receipts. There still be, would be a certain kind of black market for us, mm. uh, but largely it would be much smaller um, than it was prior to, to uh, regulation. So if you have that system, uh, it's a better system because uh, then you have control. Because the irony at, at the end of the day is that all these drugs are controlled drugs. Heroin, cocaine, cannabis, all them drugs are controlled, but they're controlled by the government meaning that nobody else can possess them, you know, consume them and so forth, mm. unless, you know, unless you're given permission. Or largely, uh, the people that do control all these drugs is criminal gangs. Okay. So that's, that's the kind of, I suppose, the paradigm that you kind of you face in all societies and the violence and the intimidation that comes with all that and the kind of, I suppose, the, the personal tragedies that are involved in relation to drugs. I mean, it's not, it's not perfect by any means. Mm. Uh, but I think a regulated system, a uh, system where you don't decriminalise, you don't criminalise people, is a better system. Well, people have been criminalised, uh, not just in America, but here, uh, President Biden talking about lives being upended as a result of uh, those convictions. And I suppose you probably have a, a bizarre situation now where people who have a conviction for possession of cannabis mm. uh, can't travel to places like Colorado where it's legal. I know. Yeah, I know. It's it's. It's a ridiculous situation where somebody a number of years ago, you know, was had a joint. Uh, you know, they were charged for that small amount of cannabis and they, were, they got a criminal conviction. You know, and then that kind of is on your record and they can't go to the United States. They, you know, can go, can't go to a lot of places and then even for employment opportunities, that can deeply affect somebody. Uh, in later years. If your bill was to be adopted, and I don't really think for a second that it will be, um, if if your bill was to be adopted, and I I don't expect that it will be, but if if it was to be adopted, would it be followed or should it be followed by a pardon? Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody that has a a criminal record in relation to small amounts of cannabis should be expunged immediately. Um, um, So that's, I mean, obviously that's not an air bill. This is to do with kind of simple possession where somebody you know not be in fear of being criminalised or being brought to court okay. now at the moment my God, the vast majority of people say I mean you're not going to be locked up for a small amount of cannabis in Ireland right but you could get a criminal conviction um, so it's quite arbitrary um, and obviously the, the new kind of cautionary system that the, the police introduced a number of years ago is welcome but it's very arbitrary you can go to some courts district courts around the country where people are being brought up to court for a small amount of cannabis, like less than 10 euros. I mean, it's a complete waste of resources for everybody. 
Um, so that has to change. And, you know, we have to look at doing something very, very different in this country in relation to our drug laws. I don't think they work. And they need to do something different. And I think something different is looking at kind of decriminalisation and then the wider, wider debate, which is quite nuanced, around regulation. Okay. I think that's our system that we have now. All right. Well, we're talking about America this morning. Uh, in the next few weeks, uh, as you say, we'll be talking uh, about the laws in this country in relation to cannabis uh, by way of for the introduction of your bill uh, when it's debated in the House. Gino Kenny, we leave it there for the moment. Thank and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. That's uh, Gino Kenny, People Before Profit TD for Dublin Midwest. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, with record numbers of people homeless in uh, this country, uh, the government is uh, considering a ban on evictions, but landlords aren't happy. Let's hear from Mary Conway, chairperson of uh, the IPOA, that's the Irish Property Owners Association. Good morning to you, Mary, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Why, why is it that you would want to evict people if they're paying their rent uh, and they haven't damaged your property? Uh, good morning, Michael. How are you? Um, well, I think there's, there's two sides to this, um, and there's two different approaches to this. One of the approaches is that um, that tenants will be put out if they stop paying the rents, um, and that is what they're suggesting at the moment. Um, the other, I suppose, side of it is that landlords are leaving the sector in increasing numbers and that tenants have been given notice to quit. Now, can I just point out that, you know, Tenants are quite well protected in this, in that they have um, um, a long uh, lead up time to uh, from the time they're served their notice. Long term um, tenants would yeah. get six months yeah. or so, yeah. Well, yeah, if they're up to seven years, they get 180 days. So, for example, if I was to issue a notice today uh, to somebody, um, they, you know, mm. they would be gone by the 8th of April. So, we're talking quite a period of time, but the difficulty is. There are no houses out there for anybody to rent. And why are there no houses out there? Because landlords are leaving the market. And why are they leaving? It's over-regulation and over-taxation. Mm. So imposing an eviction ban isn't going to help anybody, um, least of all the tenants. Mm. Um, but why would you we, want to uh, um, evict somebody uh, if they're paying their rent? Well, you know, maybe the landlord is in a position with the bank that he has to sell his property. He or she has to sell their property. Mm. Um, you know, most landlords... And the landlords that I represent have one or two properties and they bought them um, because possibly they're self-employed, they don't have a pension and this is their only way of getting a pension. And more and more of them now are saying, look, you know, this really isn't worth it anymore. Mm. Um, Everything I do, I'm being scrutinised. I'm afraid of making a mistake. It's easier just to leave. Uh, And and you believe if this ban was put in place, you'd be prevented from selling your property uh, or uh, at least that you, if you were to sell it, uh, it would have to be with the tenant in situ? Yes. And the difficulty is there are no investors at the mar- in the market at the moment. So if I'm selling a property, there isn't another investor to buy it right now. And if I have been a landlord who've looked after my tenants, as many of them do, and kept them mm. on the same rent for years, and the rent is well below market value, the incentive isn't there. Um, you know, at the end of the mm. day, uh, landlords are in this to make sure they remain solvent. So, you know, the government should be... But from the government's point of view or a homeless campaigner's point of view, that's a good thing, is it not? It it means that you can't just ask somebody to leave. 
Well, there are six reasons um, to ask people to leave, and they're the only reasons that you can get serve mm. a termination notice. Um, and there are things like that you have to sell the property, yeah. and that you um, it's not suitable for their needs. There's too many people in it. It needs to be refurbished, or that a family member mm. is moving yeah. in. So, but you, you, you've just given a very good example of, of how somebody wouldn't be asked to leave uh, as a result of this ban. Well, I'm working with, I'm also an estate agent and I'm working mm. with a couple at the moment who purchased a property when they were together 15 years ago and they are supporting that to the tune of €300 Euros each month at this point. They have no choice but to sell. Um, you know, there are genuine cases out there. There's people that, yes, they got into it for a short, sharp, hopefully make a bit of money and move on. But for the most part, people are leaving because they may have been accidental landlords you know, the end of their uh, mortgage might be uh, coming and they have only been on interest only. They have to have big capital mm-hmm. repayments. So we can't just uh, generalise. Everybody has a specific reason for selling and it's not just to put tenants out onto the street. Mm, no, but that is the ultimate outcome, obviously. Though, and that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. way it's been portrayed, that landlords are putting people out. Okay. Mary, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Mary Conway, Chairperson of the Irish Property Owners Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, people are to meet in Donor this evening uh, for a discussion about rural crime, land trespass, and hair coursing. Let's hear a little bit more about this now. We're joined uh, by local Finnegal uh, councillor Paddy Mead and Barry Carey as well, who's the crime prevention executive of the IFA. Good morning to both of you, and thanks for joining us on uh, the program this morning. Uh, Paddy, tell us a, a little bit uh, about the purpose of this meeting. Uh, Thank you, Michael, for having us on. Uh, Tonight is very important. Um, There's always been uh, an issue, but over the last few months, it has seemed to have got a lot worse. And this is illegal hunting, illegal trespass and rural crime. I have no issue if if farmers wish to have... uh, uh, hunting or any, anything on their fields but but when it's illegal and when people are asked to leave land and they refuse to it becomes a serious issue and in recent times we've, we've had reports of as well as illegal trespass there's a lot of drones been using and then there's a lot of illegal crime uh, happening and uh, a lot of robberies happening and this is running from the top of the county to the bottom of the county and sadly like None of us would like to be here today. I'm a councillor. I should be dealing with roads issues. The IFA should be dealing with prices of cattle and things like that. But there is many people out there in rural areas terrified. And over the last few days, talking to a number of them, I, I spoke with farmers who, who, when people come onto their land now, the only thing they do is to go into their house and lock the door and just hope, hope that they leave. I've spoke with other people who've confronted them and whether that's brave or foolish. And in my own case, as, as some people will know, I was robbed a year ago, uh, maybe a bit more advanced. I had a tracker uh, on what was robbed off me. I tracked it down to two foot of where it was. But we're in a situation, sadly, in County Mead, where by head of population, we have the lowest number of guards in the country. And in that case, the guards didn't have the ability to, to, to go in to re- retrieve my, my belongings. And, and so rural crime ha- has got really bad. And there's a, there's a number of people very concerned about it. And thankfully, mm. tonight, uh, in the North, the Rossnery chairman of the community alert, Andrew Dillon, has put this uh, meeting together. We're delighted that the IFA is taking this so seriously and are bringing down the National uh, Crime Prevention mm-hmm. Chairman all the way from Donegal, that's Barry Carey, that's on okay. this show. And from the Guards' perspective, uh, 
you know, it's great. We have a new uh, crime prevention officer, uh, Sergeant Patrick Smith, after being appointed. And I think it's very important that rural people uh, come out this evening and, and let him know the mm. issues in, in the Just county. explain to me a little bit more about what you were saying there. You said you didn't know whether it was brave or foolish to confront people. Uh, what, what, what are you talking about? What circumstances are you talking about? People who are hair coursing or what? If, so if you have six or seven uh, people in your field or on your property yeah. and you confront them and you ask them sorry this is my field yeah. would you mind leaving and they say no right and this now, has well the, the point I'm coming to is this is what is happening this is that is happening almost every day in this county it, it happened on three occasions in Rakenny last week it happened on two occasions in Denor last week that very thing right that's uh, not very pleasant at all. Barry, uh, what do you make of that? Is that unusual? Is it something uh, that is unique to me? Absolutely not, uh, Michael. Good morning. Um, no, it's, it's a national issue. It's a national problem. And I just want to, I want to do a clarification here. Hair coursing is a sport and it's controlled. What we're talking about here is a legal hunting of protected species, which is a hare. Uh, and it's done by, by groups and gangs who come on to legitimate landowners and farms, and, and uh, they, they hunt the wildly with dogs, and it's, the practice is called lurching, okay? And it's widespread, and it's all over the country. And, and when people are confronted, um, landowners and farmers confront these people, you know, there's, there's, there are many issues in relation to um, um, criminal damage to fencing, um, you know, uh, the worrying of, of uh, this, this is um, sheep used that are, are in, in Lamedus at time of year and in calf, heifers, etc. And they're being scattered and, and, and uh, frightened by this course of practice. And when people are asked, leave the lands, it gets confrontational and threats and intimidation occur. And that's where the problem arises. Right. right? Um, you know, people going on and there's a whole farm to fork issue in relation to food security and so on. But again, it's it's not confined to me or Louth. Uh, in fact, it's it's a national problem. Mm. Uh, in, in over the last number of months, in fact, there was a very serious case um, uh, the 30th of, of September in Tipperary, in which it necessitated uh, 600 people at a meeting last Thursday night to discuss the issue. And exactly the same issues occurred. And I was in Galway last Thursday. Um, I'm in Limerick next week over the same issues, uh, meeting with members of Magarda Shikana and IFA members and and uh, community dwellers in relation to uh, action plans and, and calls for, for specific action to be taken in these areas. Okay. And uh, Am I right in thinking that they're filming uh, the events, uh, that they use drones to do that? Well, I'm not overly concerned about the drones. In fact, this comes up a lot. I haven't seen far too much drone activity. Right? There has been a little bit, but not, not as widespread as, as has been mentioned in places. Hmm. And uh, I have to point out about drone operations, the Defence Forces use drones for specific operations. Yeah. There are certain energy companies do power line checks with drones. There are the Civil Defence use drones in, in rescue operations. Mountain rescue teams use drones. Yeah. So therefore, not all drones are flying over our are, 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 are of a criminal nature or are nature that would be anti-farming and that didn't... No, uh, well, I actually yeah. was thinking of it in a, in a totally different way. I was wondering if they were recording. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Bring evidence that could be used against them. Um... Not thoroughly, not not that we know of. Um, there, there have been one or two cases where drones have been put up. Again, um, it, it's not a widespread uh, operation in practice. Mm. I, I take it, though, that quite often the people who are involved in these uh, events are, are known to the landowners. It, well, sometimes, yes, but they're, they're, they're these particular groups that, that hunt illegally uh, travel far and wide. We had one particular case in 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 Kerry where they came from from uh, Northern Ireland to to carry out this practice. And um, you know they travelled. In North Dublin was a particular issue a couple of years ago, and we had widespread operations in conjunction with the Gardaí Economy. And in some cases, um, there were there were um, joint operations with the National Parks Wildlife Service within Gardaí Economy, and we have community alerts and we have. Um, WhatsApp groups specifically for these crime issues so that when people are seen in the areas that the Guardian are contacted straight away and um, there were several convictions in relation to this and so much so that these people didn't come back into the area but went somewhere else to carry out these functions and, 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 and hunting practices mm. and, and, and suddenly it's creeped in again but there seems to be uh, a national outburst in it at the moment and there seems to be a huge activity in it. Nice. And like Lawrence again it's the level of aggression uh, it's a level of aggression uh, that's shown towards a landowner and the disrespect and, and no respect for, for uh, cattle, sheep and, and, and horses, etc. That, that are there on the land and the worrying of them, the scattering of them. And, and, and that can lead to, to miscarriage in certain cases of, of, of farm animals. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I thought Paddy framed his question very well, uh, asking if it was brave or foolish to confront these people. Is, is it foolish? Uh, is, is it going to result in that type of behaviour or that they might come back and burn the house down? As a, as a landowner, if you ask people to leave and they don't, we're advising that you don't get into any banter, any particular issues that report it. We say report this activity straight away to 999-112, not to your local guard station, which may have other functions, roles, or may not be open to time, uh, or may have, have, have a motor traffic accident that they're dealing with at the time. So 999-112 is the way to go. And report to the activity. Have your land area, have the town land area, have an air code if possible, have the road number, you know, R257, whatever it is, that's, that's there, and give the specific details, right? And uh, we're saying to firms, don't engage with with any banter or don't engage with any confrontation, verbal confrontation, because that 
that leads to other things in, in, in and has done in other places. Okay, Paddy, you cited a, a number of incidents in the last couple of weeks. Uh, were those involved from the locality or were they outsiders as such? Um, so a mixture there of a few from the county and a few from outside. The great thing about County Mead, of course, is we have four motorways running through. You can get in and out of this county fairly quickly. Uh, on a number of the, the rural crime cases, it's suspected that the, the perpetrators were from known crime families or associations. Um, and like in my own case where I was robbed, it can be very infuriating when I know the person that robbed me. I know where my stolen product went. Um, and it, it goes to the thing about confrontation is is very foolish. But County Mead as a whole, we don't have, you can't blame the guards. There's just not enough of them. Um, but action is needed. And thankfully, this evening at 8 o'clock in the north, we're having this good meeting and we have the new crime uh, prevention officer, Sergeant Patrick Smith, coming to it. Uh, and that's why I think it's so important that rural people do come out and air their views. And it, while we've done a lot of talk about farmers there, it's also people living in rural areas because we've, uh, at similar times to these uh, occurrence and land trans- trans- uh, trespasses happening, we've had a number of burglaries and we had a public house uh, or a bar, as many might call it, robbed in the area. And, and so a lot of people appear to think that there's a link between the land trespass and the, the house robberies. Whether there is or not, I, I can't confirm, but it does appear that there is. And so there's a lot of rural people, not just from the farming community, very concerned about this and we, we urge them all because we don't want people to take things into their own hands so we're asking people to come to the meeting this evening and to talk to the guards and uh, there, there will be a number of them there and I think it's very important that they do hear what's going on because sadly in, in one of them cases I, I mentioned earlier, the farmer has given up giving, ringing the guards. Uh, he, 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 he felt that it was taking so long for them to come out. On, on two occasions, they arrived the day after. Mm. Uh, that he's given up ringing the guards. And, and that's not what we want to hear. Right. Every rural crime should be reported. Ring 999 or 112. Mm. Barry, uh, um, somebody in touch saying it's not just terror coursing, uh, that they're killing badgers as well. Yeah, there, there's badger baiting goes on, um, but uh, in the main badger badger causing badger baiting, of course, is, is a huge issue. But in the cases that we see, it's in and many of the cases, it's where six or eight guys arrive in a couple of vehicles. They're pulling uh, dog trailers. Uh, they block a gate. They get over the gate. They go in and they cross lands. And when confronted, but they wouldn't be seen. They wouldn't have the shovels or the the large gouge poles to to uh, go badger baiting that's not what we see we see them out hunting on the lands specifically looking for hares and they're out across lands and it doesn't matter if they'll cross your land into my land and carry on well, and why are they doing it uh, is there money involved is it sport is it there gambling are, I, at times at times yes there there is a gambling going on behind this yeah. but as Paddy just alluded to there where you have these activities suddenly you'll find that there are in certain places opportunistic uh, thefts have occurred where quad bikes and other items um, of huge interest are, are taken. And, and and in certain cases, it's felt that these are scouting exercises at times for a future theft. 
and uh, they're they're spotting particular items that are okay. Happening. Well, there's a lot of reason to be concerned. Uh, people uh, can meet with you both uh, this evening in St Mary's GAA Club. It's starting at eight o'clock. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program uh, this morning. That's uh, Barry Kerry, who's uh, part of uh, the Crime Prevention Executive of uh, the IFA, uh, and also with us uh, their Finnegale councillor in Mead, Paddy Mead. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the AIM2 party held its Ordash in Gormson over the weekend. Its founder and leader is Pader Tobin, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. You've grown this party out of nothing to a party now that says you've 1,300 members at this stage and growing, and an all-Ireland party at that. What's the mood within AIM2? First, if I can, uh, I'd like to just, if I can, just express my sympathies and condolences uh, with the people of Chrysler. Um, we had people from Donegal at the Ardesh on the weekend, and when they stood to the podium to speak on, on the issues, many of them broke down in tears. Um, and uh, when the horrific story was unfolding on, on Friday morning, or Friday evening, I contacted our common, we have a common, in, in, an to common in Chrysler, and uh, just listened to the to the horror and the numbness that was, emanating there and it seemed on Friday morning when we were driving to the Ardesh or Saturday morning when we were driving to the Ardesh it just seemed that our worst fears were were were, were crystallising uh, with it in terms of the number of people who've died so you know the people of Donegal are strong and I hope they get all the help they need to carry them through this really really difficult time mm. um, so just in, in relation to the Ardesh it, it, was, a, it was a great success um, and as you said there to start this party grew from nothing three and a half years ago, um, and uh, we had 400 delegates from across the 32 counties in attendance uh, in Gormanstown um, this Saturday. Um, we have just in that in the last elections, AIM2 gathered 55,000 votes uh, in those elections, a higher vote than people before profit, which is obviously a well-established political party. Uh, we've 1,300 members. We've six elected reps now from Wexford to Dublin. Or to Derry, I should say, mm. uh, and we're polling constantly now, um, ahead or on par with parties such as Labour, Sock Dems, and the Greens, um, which I believe is a massive achievement for a small party uh, in such a short period of time. Uh, and what about the way the party is evolving? Uh, because I think it's true to say that a lot of people would have thought uh, when you started out at this political party that it was Sinn Fein without abortion. Well, I'll tell you, the, the vast majority of members of AIM2 have never been a member of any political party at all. Oh. So I would say easily 60, uh, 65% are brand new to it. So that's why this particular Ardesh was fascinating, because, you know, this was our first in-person Ardesh. We couldn't have one for the last two years because of COVID. But what we saw there was, you know, people who hadn't experiences of Ardesh before, you know, really get stuck into the participatory aspect of political activism. And, you know, one of the messages that's very clear for me is that, you know, we shouldn't be leaving politics to the political establishment, to the parties that exist. You know, political activism is actually a responsibility of us all. You know, I often hear people saying, God, I'm sick at this and this is a disaster and, you know, the tax on fuel is, is shocking. And my response to people is, you know, you don't know how powerful you are. People don't understand the power that they have. I think the government likes that. It keeps, you know, the government and the political establishment like a docile um, um, you know, uh, a, a voter base or a, a voter base that, you know, maybe 
gets angry on social media but really doesn't do anything about it in, in real life. And what we're trying to do in AIM2 is build a grassroots movement across the country of real people uh, who you know, stand up for mm. what they believe in, who have a backbone. Uh, it's about conviction politics. And that's missing in the in the political spectrum as is, well. Is, you is know? it missing in Sinn Féin? I don't want to drag you into an endless conversation about Sinn Féin, but I'm thinking about your own identity uh, and how you would differentiate AIM2 from Sinn Féin. Well, we would be... At, we're a 32 county uh, All-Ireland political party, but we would see ourselves as very much more practical uh, than Sinn Féin in, in that objective. So, you know, Sinn Féin obviously are supportive of United Ireland and it's one of their key objectives, but our uh, approach to it is to see how it actually can be achieved in practical terms. So many of the motions at the Ordesh this weekend were about, you know, how do we get rid of the economic and enterprise barriers that exist north and south so people can do more trade and business can happen more? How do we get rid of the taxation and, and employment laws barriers that exist north and south? You know, we put forward a motion in terms of an economic zone for the border region, which would help counties like Loud and, and Monaghan and Cavan you know, do better because they've suffered from partition uh, over the time. So, you know, we're very practical in those terms. Uh, in relation to, you know, the the the, um, the attitudes towards the, the economy, we wouldn't be as uh, far left probably as, as Sinn Féin are. Uh, we would be centre-left. Uh, but we do understand that there has to be a functioning enterprise system as well. There needs to be a spark in the economy. People who work hard, who invest their mm. money, who spend time in education need to know that there's going to be a benefit for that, for them to... Is there not? You know, I, I mean, the government uh, would seem to be very proud of it, it, its record in office. Well, f- first of all, the, the, the three major aspects of our analysis at the Ordesh over the weekend were the detachment of the political class, uh, the incompetency of the political class, and the uh, lack of accountability that exists. And we believe that those three elements have led to crisis you know, literally the country buckling under a confluence of crisis from uh, right across the spectrum. So detachment. Right now, the political class has given themselves a pay rise of equal to half what a pensioner earns in a full year. So TDs are giving themselves a pay rise to exactly half the income that a pensioner would receive in a full year, which is an incredible detachment. Well, that's people because, can't uh, that's because meant the pay of politicians is linked uh, to civil servants, isn't it? Because the legislation says so, mm. and TDs are in charge of that legislation. The other issue is incompetency, and you know, right across the health service, housing, etc., we see massive government incompetency. Mm. And I'll give you an, an example of this. Um, you know, we have a housing crisis that people are only too well aware of, and yet in this budget, the government introduced a concrete levy which would increase the price of houses. So houses that are you know, nearly impossible for people to afford, the government actually, in the jaws of that crisis, bring about a levy to actually increase it even further. By very which little, the government says, uh, at a time when we're facing into a, a massive crisis, uh, but we do so with a very strong economic foundation because but, of how it's managed the finances. If, if, and you, like for example, would be very critical of corporation tax, but if it wasn't for corporation tax, uh, we wouldn't have this money. Ten companies no, like, apparently... Like, fl- like, the, the, the half, I'll be honest with you, for, for full ten years, I hammered Fine Gael over their lack of implementation of corporate tax law. In this country, Fine Gael were allowing for loads of different um, derogations for corporation mm. tax, which meant that corporations were paying as low as 2 and 3 and 4% in corporation but tax. But just 10 companies we, are paying for our energy bills. But just, just, just make, want to make this point. We pushed them, I pushed them radically over those last 10 years, 
Now they're fulfilling what we asked for, and now the country is earning billions more in corporation tax. Like, like if, if anything proves the argument that we made in terms of having a proper standard rate of corporation tax and that it will be implemented properly, the receipts in corporation taxes now would, would prove that. And the, the other issue is, is accountability. You know, um, that the lack of accountability currently in terms of uh, this government uh, is incredible. And we know that more so than anybody else in Loudoun Meath and through the health service, you know, that we have a, a Minister for Health who is being told what to do by senior, well-paid uh, public servants who, you know, doesn't have the authority over the HSE that he should, where the, the, the democratic authority over the public services is inverted. In, in a democracy, the people make the decisions and the, 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 the people are the supreme power. They elect the politicians to implement their views and the, the, the politicians direct the public service and what to do. And that's been inverted. It's been put upside down. And what we're seeing is public servants literally, you know, buying and selling ministers in this country uh, on a regular basis. And, and that's leading to crisis in the health service. And the minister won't even come on your show to actually be held to account for the decisions he is making. So detachment from real people's lives, incompetency in terms of, of the work that they're meant to do, and an accountability-free zone are three major ingredients that are leading to the political crisis across health, cost of living, okay. uh, and uh, housing at the moment. And that's one of the reasons that we in to want to see a change in, in the political class. We want to see real people rise up, take those positions, and start to implement laws uh, for the betterment of everybody. Tell me about your aspirations to conclude, if you would, uh, because uh, for such a, a new political party, you've been polling very well, I, I think, uh, sometimes uh, on 2%, uh, which is a, a significant uh, portion of uh, the electorate for such a, a new party. Uh, what would you like to see that transfer into in terms of seats in the next election? Well, our major objectives, first, well, first of all, we, we're polling at 3% consistently in the, in, in the Sunday Independent paper and in, in the last um, business poll uh, poll as well, So, which is, is as you say, is, is very good. Um, we have a local elections coming up in the north of Ireland next May. We would like to see ourselves um, take a dozen at least uh, well, uh, council seats in that election. Um, and then we have the local elections following that in the south, so I would like to see at least 20 councillors being uh, elected across the island between those two elections um, in the short term. And I believe that that will give us the base in terms of really challenging for, for Dáil seats uh, and MLA seats in those elections. And, you know, already I can see the other political parties, you know, they're watching us, they're seeing, you know, the kind of growth that we're involved in. Uh, and I believe you know, e- even that is creating now an influence over the way decisions are being made. So it shows you that ordinary citizens, if they don't accept the political establishment, can get involved in a people-powered organisation and start to turn things around. And if anybody wants to know, you know, the first step in helping is just to sign up and become a member, to take responsibility for this country equally uh, as well as anybody else. And hopefully I will see that energy continue over the next year and see further growth around each of the 32 counties for AIM2. OK. Peter Tobain, founder and leader of AIM2, thank you for joining us this morning. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Marie Duffy is uh, the editor of uh, the Creasle View, and uh, she's on the line. Good morning to you, Marie, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. We're getting a, a lot of calls and messages uh, to our, our studios here in Louth this morning. In many ways, it feels a long distance from where you are there, and uh, that a sad uh, and disturbed and upset as people are 
I don't think any of us uh, can imagine what it's like uh, to be in Donegal this morning. Are, are there words? Um, thank you very much um, for having me on. And I just want to say I'm very grateful for all the support that we've been given. There are no words. It's a real cliche. Um, but to be honest, nothing ever prepares uh, a small, small community for a tragedy like this. Um, we only have a couple of hundred people in the area, maybe 400 people, a wee bit more. Um, and we've lost 10 of our community and there's no word to describe that. Yeah, and three children um, and all going about everyday life on a, a Friday afternoon. Um. Yeah, I suppose um, we only, we're a very, very small town as many people mm. um, in rural towns around the country understand. We literally had one shop, one petrol station, one post office. It was all in the one location, and that's where the explosion took place. Um, locals would have used the shop multiple times a day. It happened on a very busy Friday afternoon as people were using the post office, as children were coming from school, picking up some sweets as a Friday treat, as um, people were using the local ATM, stopping off for petrol, picking up last bits for dinner, and... Um, Anybody who um, who has family on a Friday afternoon knows that yeah. it's just about calling into the local shop and getting the last bits, um, last minute bits. And unfortunately, um, many of our community were caught up in that explosion. Yeah. Uh, as I say, it's reverberated uh, across the country, across the world. Uh, I know uh, the Pope sent a, a message to the local bishop uh, there, but. Yeah. Uh, very, very difficult uh, for any of us uh, to understand what people are, are feeling. But we are seeing a, a, a small community, but a resilient community that is coming together uh, to grieve together and to support each other. Yeah, um, we're a very, very small community. We're very used to um, banding together, working together. Um, everybody knows everybody. Um, everyone has been impacted by this. Um, and I suppose when the politicians disappear and the media spotlight moves on and the next tragedy is in the news, our community will still be grieving for the months, um, years, and I suppose generations to come. Mm. Uh, it seems uh, inevitable, doesn't it? Uh, do you think that uh, people are, are holding up uh, in a state of shock and that it, it really has to hit home yet? Uh, because you quite often hear people talk uh, about being bereaved and yes. after the month's mind, let's say, uh, yeah. when people stop calling uh, or on the first anniversary. A lot of people even say the second anniversary is worst. Yeah, I suppose um, the reality actually hasn't re- uh, hasn't hit the community yet. Um, the the first funerals will be tomorrow in the town. Um, I know there's going to be uh, two members of the community buried tomorrow in Kriesla. Um As funerals start to take place and um, families arrive home and neighbours and call to each other houses, I don't think it's going to actually hit until then. Um, I think... I suppose we don't know... No one can prepare for something like this. Our town is very, very small. Um, We have a big diaspora. There's lots of people who emigrate for work, who work away during during the week, who will be coming home, returning home for this tragic, um, for these tragic funerals. And I suppose um, 
we we just hold everyone in our thoughts, especially people who can't make it home to the community, because we know that they are unfortunately following this from afar um, through the media, and it's it's very difficult for them. Yeah. Uh, and one funeral after another, it's going to be a, a, a very hard number of days. Um, are, are children in school this morning? Yes, as far as I know, the schools are all open and support services are in the schools. It's very, very important that um, the teenagers and the young people of our community, especially the children, um, are given support at the minute, that they the schools are open for them to attend as usual. Obviously, it won't be usual. It will just be a place to um, come together and offer support. I know one of the local secondary schools outside of Quisla has lost two of their students and two of the parents of students were also um, caught out in the explosion. So there's four people from that school community um, who have died. So I know that the schools, um, the support services, the HSC, the local GPs and everything are putting supports in place. But I suppose it's um, it's it's not just counselling services that people need. It's it's uh, youth workers, it's um, after school activities, it's community groups, it's everything in the next months going ahead so that people are given something and somewhere to come to grieve, to support each other, to take their mind off stuff. Mm. Um, as I said, the, the shop where the um, explosion took place is on the main street in the town. Everybody has to pass that site. Um, as far as I know, in the next few days, everything will be demolished. Um, so there's going to be an empty space in the town and people will be reminded of that every time they pass. And I, I suppose that's going to be very, very difficult. There's no doubt. Uh, as you say, uh, it's very important uh, for people to come together um, yeah. uh, and everybody looking at, uh, after each other sort of thing. Uh, and uh, I suppose that's the importance of the vigils. Uh, uh, there must be very sad occasions altogether, especially, as you say, when everybody knows everybody. Yeah, everybody's connected. Um, when the news was coming um, through the town um, on Friday afternoon, we all knew that it was not going to be good news because it's a very, very busy spot. We all knew that locals would have been caught up in the incident. And to be honest, we are just overwhelmed by the support we have received from everybody. There's donations coming in from all over the world. Um, their locals were literally turning up at the scene and removing rubble with their bare hands. People who had tractors, who had diggers, making um, way on the road for emergency services. And we just, I suppose, thoughts who, who have gone out to locals who were at that scene, um, particularly many men. Um, we all know that mental health um, is particularly um, difficult for a lot of men to talk about. Um, and even emergency responders and everybody who witnessed horrific scenes um, and just our thoughts go out to everybody and we are just so, so grateful for all the support that everybody has shown us. Yeah, it's not something that people are going to forget about any time quickly. No. Uh, and people will want to know what happened and how it happened. Uh, it, it seems as though it'll be some time before there's answers to those questions. Yeah, um, I was um, in the town today and as far as I know, there's still forensic investigations going ahead. Um at the minute, obviously, there's very questions. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of speculation. Nobody actually knows what happened. But for the moment, um, 
we're not focusing on that. We're focusing on burying our loved ones and our family and our friends over the next few days. And um, hopefully in time to come, um, we'll find out what actually happened. None of us will forget it. uh, uh, And all of you are in our thoughts. uh, And thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning, Marie. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, Marie Duffy, who's the editor of uh, The Crease Love View. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as Marie has said to us there, it's not certain what happened in Creasley, but it appears to have been a, a terrible accident uh, that claimed 10 lives, four men, three women and three young children. And it's impossible to know what to say about it. And uh, I'm sure many people like me, feel helpless uh, this morning. Is there anything that can be done? Well, on post have uh, asked for financial donations or are willing to accept them uh, as part of a support fund for the community in Creasla. Let's hear a, a little bit more about this. Anna McHugh is Head of Communications with Unpost and a very good morning to you, Anna, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, Unpost uh, had a, a post office uh, in this building uh, and uh, there's uh, a uh, widespread shock across uh, the country, uh, but I'm sure that there's uh, many uh, of your members uh, who are feeling it uh, acutely uh, as a result of the post office being there. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, good morning. Uh, yeah, just, you know, just a, a devastating and tragic accident. And, um, you know, we had a very worrying few hours on Friday afternoon when we couldn't contact our postmistress or the post office staff there in Chrysler. They showed incredible bravery um, in clearing the office, helping to clear the the people out of the shop, um, rescuing people from the rubble and and also assisting the injured and the dying there. Um, And, you know, even though she'd been through all of that, the the postmistress's concern then over the weekend was how the customers and the wider customers in Creasley would would get services today. Mm. for their banking and their social welfare and the like. So, yeah, conscious as well, you know, for the, the postal delivery staff in Chrysler who would have known all of the deceased and the injured and all those affected, um, such a tight-knit community. Mm. And between the, you know, the post office side and the collection and delivery side of the mails, um, you know, we sort of, we're, we're, we're woven into every community that we <clears throat> that we live and work in. So um, yeah, so we're, we're, we worked with the Irish Red Cross over the weekend. We work with them anyway on the ongoing appeal for for uh, Ukraine. So uh, we got together and we put in place uh, this uh, arrangement for a, a Chrysler Community Support Fund, so that people can donate cash or by debit card at any post office um, across County Louth or across the whole country, um, and. Those funds will be channeled through the Irish Red Cross, and um, will they will coordinate then with the government and with the national state support services and the local services over the coming weeks and months um, mm. to provide whatever additional services are required. And Apple Green um, have also come on board as well, um, and they're they're supporting the the online facility for donating. And promoting that as well through their, I think, 200 branches nationwide. So between the 900 post offices and the Apple Green branches and indeed the Red Cross facilities as well, it's easy for anyone who wants to, you know, the feeling of helplessness is, helplessness yeah. is dreadful. Yeah. 
So this is a way, if people mm. choose, that yeah. they, they can make a donation. Yeah, I, I suppose it, it's a way of expressing uh, your sympathy and uh, empathy uh, with uh, people there. Um, it's a, a close-knit community, as you say, a very small community and one that uh, really is rallying together uh, to come to support people. But they're going to need a yeah. lot of support for a very long time to come, aren't they? Oh, mm. oh absolutely. Yeah. I mm. mean, you know, this, this is this changes things forever yeah. for every generation in, or you know generation in the future the post office had only moved to that location under the new postmistress um, Annette Laverty who's part of the family who run that shop and, and forecourt complex it has only moved there in recent months um, from a, um, a previous location when the, the former postmistress retired and uh, it was really even extra handy then for the community um, because that whole complex was very much the, the heart of Chrysler and would have been, um, you know, on any Friday afternoon, a really busy, busy, hectic space. Mm. So um, we've moved services up the road to uh, Kilmacrennan, which is on the road to Letterkenny. And um, for the moment anyway, and we, we, we're going to try and get services restored somewhere in Chrysler just to make it more convenient for, for our customers there. Okay. Uh, any idea of uh, how people have responded to your appeal uh, this morning? Well, judging by our staff, who we let know about at first, and uh, on our on our own internal staff uh, channels, you know that they're very happy with that, and will be you know promoting it and supporting it. And from what we've heard back from, you know, through media like yourselves um, and directly from customers it's it, people are very positive about it as I said people feel helpless you'd want to, you just want to know what you can do mm. and I suppose this is a way and you can be sure because the Red Cross were involved and they'll be dealing with state services that you know that the, the, this will fund directly the sort of services that uh, some of which are I suppose now at the moment unknown until you know everything settles and whether it's older people, younger people, people who are bereaved, made homeless, lost their jobs, and are widely traumatised, whatever you know is required in that immediate community and the wider Chrysler community, we, you know, there'll be a fund there to support mm. that because this is this is going to be a, this is for the long run. This is for the the long road. Okay, uh, if people do want to make a, a donation, they need to physically go into the post office. Is it? Yeah, I mean, I know through the Apple Green facility, maybe online, there's an online facility through Apple Green into the same fund, but they can, yeah, any at any post office, cash or a debit card donation. Um, and I think the Irish Red Cross website as well, they're lining up as well, and that'll all be channeled through the, through the, the into the same fund. But there's over 900 post offices in the country, plenty of them across County Louth, mm. so, uh, and beyond. So, um we're just trying to make it as easy as possible for everyone. Very if, good. Should they choose to make a donation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think people will uh, welcome the opportunity. Certainly, some people will. Uh, thank yeah. you uh, indeed uh, for joining us this morning, Anna. Thanks, Much Michael. appreciated. That's Anna McHugh, who uh, is head of corporate communications with Unpost. Uh, before we leave you today, some of uh, the comments coming to us. Uh, Mary, uh, one of uh, the people in touch with us uh, about Priestless, saying her heart goes out to the community following that horrific tragedy on Friday. It's unthinkable what they are having to deal with. The strength and courage that they are showing is amazing. Mary says she hopes uh, that uh, the people in Priestless know 
that they are in the hearts and minds of people all over the country. I, I think that uh, to some degree uh, they do. Uh, it's just a, a guess and I think that everybody would echo that and thank you indeed uh, for that call. Uh, we had a number of people in touch with us uh, about Chrysla and I think everybody really struggling to find words uh, to put into uh, context how they feel about it and it's more or less uh, impossible isn't it uh, somebody else in touch with us about this meeting uh, that's taking place uh, this evening uh, about uh, the problems in County Mead with hair coursing and so on saying I, I'm not sure if I see the point in the meeting especially when you have people trespassing on land uh, and if you go to report it there's no guards to respond to you because of the limited resources. We only seem to be going around in circles uh, when it comes to cases like this and we do know who the perpetrators are but we don't seem to be able to say anything about it or do anything about it. Uh, another uh, text uh, then from a, a Dundalk listener about cannabis. A few people in touch with us about cannabis uh, following the pardon that the American president gave to anybody who had been convicted federally of possession of small amounts this listener says, as someone who has seen the effect of cannabis ruining an ex's life, uh, and neighbours going on to heroin after it, uh, I, I'm afraid for my children and seeing other children with parents pulling uh, whiteies whilst minding children. I, I'd hope that parents and grandparents will all say no. I, I know the gentleman has his beliefs, uh, but Gino Kenny hasn't obviously witnessed the destruction to children, family, friends and even neighbours. Thank you indeed. Uh, Patsy and Carrick has a a different attitude towards it. He says uh, that he'd never take cannabis because it's illegal. But he says if it was made legal, he could be tempted out of curiosity. That's an interesting point, uh, I suppose, uh, and one uh, that would make the argument for some uh, against it. Uh, Thanks uh, indeed, uh, as always, uh, for that, Patsy. Uh, A caller from Drogheda says, Long past time, it's commonplace. uh, You can get cannabis anywhere. Uh, There's plenty of weed uh, about. Uh, It's just illegal and there's all sorts of chemicals on it. Perhaps, we don't know because it's not regulated. Uh, It would be wise to regulate it and keep people safe if that's what they're choosing to do. Uh, On uh, trespassing for hair coursing and so on, uh, somebody else says they arrived to a farm in Ardcath last week uh, and there were a number of signs up against trespassing but they still came onto the land uh, despite all of that. Uh, But uh, thank you indeed uh, for letting us know uh, and indeed uh, for your message to the programme today. If you were in touch with us now, that's all we have time for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660 4237.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.